Ooh, welcome everyone to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host, Scotty McCoy, and boy, do I have a surprise for all of you. And this time, I have triple the surprise, because I don't have one guest, I don't have two guests, but I got three guests. I have the admins of Autism Virtually right now on, on Zoom with me, Jennifer, Lisa, and Lindsay, and I'm so excited to also say I'm also an admin of Autism Virtually, which is really exciting. Yeah. And we are going to be talking about what this amazing group is and what it does and, you know, spread awareness also for autism and people that live with autism and kind of, you know, give you an update on that. But before we get into all of that, how are you all doing? How are you doing, Jen, Lisa, Lindsay? How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. I got to spend the day with a bunch of golden retrievers. I went to a golden retriever rescue camp. So that was awesome. So I had a great day. How about you ladies? How about Lisa? You have a good day? All great. Hanging out with my new pup, Colbert. <laughs> awesome. How you doing, Lindsay? I didn't hang out with any dogs today. I mean, my dog <laughs> is just uh, kind of hanging out by himself. We, I had my niece's first birthday party today, so nice. we had an eventful day. Nice, nice. Yeah, I was, uh, I was on set filming the remainder of seventy two. Pro, I wasn't in any of the scenes today, but I was on set probably since eight o'clock this morning and got done at five five thirty ish. And you might see a little bit of blood on me here and there, fake blood, because uh, we wrapped the the movie. And because you get ra- when you like, you know, when a sports player is done, they get Gatorade dumped on them. When you film a horror movie, the initiation is the main person in charge, usually the director. I'm not the director, but I am the founder of the company. So I was the one that got the blood all over me and the remainder of the blood squirted all over me and uh, on my Apple Watch. I had to take that off. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a mess. I wasn't expecting it, but it, it was fun. It was a fun, fun little treat. Uh, so yeah, we got it on video, so that'll be posted soon. Um, but just to I guess to get things started, I'll let Jan kind of answer this one. Um, what is autism virtually? Where the name come from, and what is this group's purpose? All right, so autism virtually is um a platform that we have on Facebook right now because it's easy to access. Um, it's a resource education and support platform for all things autism. Um, it's I named it that because I love the movie Love Actually. Did you anybody see it here? Mm-hmm. It's it. so messy. It's such a messy movie, and it shows that love is like so messy, and it's pain, and it's happiness, and it's fear, and it's just like everywhere, right? And autism is a lot like that too. Uh, most actually, most um, information about autism is online as well. Fun fact. So I figured Autism Virtually would be a great um, name for the platform. Okay. And the last question is, what is the goal? What do we do? Like, yes. the pur- what is the purpose, of, purpose. The, of this group? The purpose of this group is to be able to hopefully reach um, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have like main groups of people. Like, for example, I'm a parent of a son with autism. He's 21 years old now. And um, so he's going to graduate. So I figured I needed something new to put my time in since he won't need me. But um, he's going to be 21. And I changed my job when he was, I'm going to say, eight or nine so that I could um, become a therapeutic support staff. That's what we were called before. Mm -hmm. So I could get lots of um, trainings in autism and work with autistic kids because I found my son was autistic. And I have access to great behavioral um, consultants, therapists, OTSPTs, and 
when I'm online, I know this, most parents don't have access to those people. And to get services nowadays is really hard because there's not a lot of people um, in these fields left. And there's like this huge need. Mm -hmm. So my basic idea to get this platform started was to kind of give parents a backdoor. So if they're having a hard time getting um, a behavioral consultant signed on, there's a big wait list or speech therapy, but they could post a question in here and a speech therapist could answer them or a BC could answer them. Um, we also give trainings, right? So we gave two. Um, the first one was autism for everyone, which like I said, is for the majority of people, right? People who right. don't have a child with autism, people who may not even really know a person with autism really well. Um, the second one we gave was really um, a bit harder. Uh, it's called anxiety, depression, suicide through the lens of autism, because these are issues that autistic people have to deal with. Um, and so we're doing education, right? Um, and we're also hopeful to have some social events for people with autism, kids with autism, team with autism, all on a virtual platform, kind of like bringing people together in the real world on the computer. Yeah. And and that's the, the biggest way to bring in a vast majority of people because there's only so many people that live in our area or whatever. But then you have the online world where you can get people from not just the United, not just from Pennsylvania, not just from yeah. Maryland. You can get people from, you know, you know all 50 states in the United States, you can get people from out of the country, you can get people all around the globe through the online world of social networking. So that is the best way to bring people together. Um, so Lisa, uh, how did you get involved with autism virtually? And then I'll ask you the next the same question, Lindsay. Jennifer's a friend of mine. Um, I am close with her son, Leaf. Um, He's a so great kid. <laughs> Jennifer knows that I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for 28 years mm -hmm. and she invited me and I was very excited to be a part of it and be able to connect with other professionals and mm -hmm. um, just help, you know, awareness. I have several friends. I'm neurodiverse. I have friends, so many friends who um, also are neurodiverse and I mean, I'm just drawn to the, the person who thinks differently, who experiences life maybe a little differently um, and still has this fantastic time doing so. Yeah. Um, so I'm just happy to be a part of it. And Jennifer's, Jennifer and Lee for my, my links. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So what about you, Lindsay? How'd you get involved with autism virtually? Well, I started working with Jen. Um, I guess we're at 11 years now. Um, yes. We took a training together and we started talking there um and then worked a few cases together worked at the same schools so we got to know each other a little better and became friends um i have a son who has autism and adhd so um we kind of bonded over that as well and just being parents in general and talking about our children and the struggles that we faced with them growing up um so when she asked me to be a part of this, I really thought it was a great mm -hmm. idea. Um, and I was happy to help in any way I could. Right. Absolutely. So, Lindsay, um, for someone that is dealing with like with a child that has autism, like, for example, you know, as you mentioned, you have a you have a child that has autism. So what should a parent do? I, I mean, yes. Uh, what um, what? like advice do you have for someone that just find like that the child has autism, like, and they are kind of dealing with this, like what advice would you give to that, that parent? First of all, be 
open-minded. I think a lot of people just, they hear their child has autism and they think like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like that they're different. Like what, who am I supposed to talk to? Because, you know, a lot of times they get the diagnosis and they're like, okay, now what? Um, and they're not given a lot of resources. Um, and they just kind of send you home, be on your way. There you go, figure it out. Um, so definitely be open to looking for other resources, reaching out to other parents, um, trying to find that connection in your community um, to have professionals mm -hmm. give you advice, um, other parents who have been there, educators, um, and just be patient. Know mm -hmm. that your child is still looking to you as their main role model and mm -hmm. you are the most important person in their life and you yeah. are there to teach them what they need and to give them the skills that they need to navigate the world so just being patient with that absolutely what about you lisa what advice would you give them from an educator standpoint even i would suggest to be a strong advocate for your child make sure you know i guess know that there are available schools that may be different than public education. Like well, there are a lot of great alternative schools, but not even in public education, and I don't mean like charter schools, I mean like public schools that just have an alternative setting. Mm -hmm. and, e and even larger public schools, there are great school counselors and special education um, teachers who, if you stay in good contact, will support you and your child and make sure that you know the accommodations mm -hmm. are met that's a legal document they need to be met and if there's anything that's not being met speak up mm -hmm. and insist i know it's a lot of energy and work but yeah it's your child so i don't you know people are going to do it anyway but like don't give up and <laughs> make sure that their <laughs> head says hi um make sure that they're getting every um, accommodation and the teachers who get them and love them just exactly who they are yeah. that you can make sure that you get those connections absolutely what about you jen what uh advice would you give from a parent parental standpoint um i know when i got diagnosis first thing i dealt with was guilt i felt very guilty like was it something i did when i was pregnant he's six how did i miss it this long um you know and it's okay i tell parents it's okay to go through um it's kind of like a grief process because you know that their life is going to be different so mm -hmm. like what you envision for them has to change mm -hmm. and the second thing i i tell parents is along with you know be gentle with yourself and it's okay um, to go through those feelings is to educate yourself. We fear yeah. what we do not know. And yeah. it is incredibly important that you go out and you can Google things. Like I told you, most uh, information on autism is actually online. So yeah. that's where you're going to find all the information, um, figure out what services might help mm -hmm. your child um, and just be really proactive. Yeah. And the more you know, the less you fear and the farther you go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know that um, with uh, like when Leaf was diagnosed, for example, um, you didn't have 
at your fingertips what everybody does now and that is the internet really like the internet if it was a thing wasn't as vast and big as it is now true yep so everybody has that that you know that google and one thing you have to also realize is just because it's on google doesn't mean it's correct so, <laughs> so always, if you have any questions <laughs> always ask your meta you know your medical or you know your your physician or somebody that is trained in that situation because it, especially if you don't know what's going on because or if you have any questions because google can give you so much but just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true unfortunately <laughs> that's the case <laughs> yeah. that's true yeah. um, but you can be careful about your sources too like for example <laughs> if you see um an article on psychology.com or whatever you can yeah. see okay this is a very respected source they definitely yeah. make sure that what they're writing is accurate yeah. you know versus you know the inquirer maybe giving right. or the onion giving you information right. so you can sift through but you definitely yeah. need to take everything with a grain of salt and just keep yeah. on reading talk to professionals yeah. and yeah be proactive right and one major like for example like you mentioned like wikipedia is a big site that everybody goes to for their sources but if you didn't know this wikipedia can be edited by myself by you everybody in this group everybody that is that, that has access to a computer and the internet can edit and update a wiki without what, you know, and change it to whatever. I can literally say, you know, that um, I don't know, uh, that uh, you know, the sky is blue because you know, it's that's the way. You know, I don't know. Just you can make anything up, really. Like you know what I mean? Like just just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. And Wikipedia is one of those main reasons, and that's why you, when you are an educator or a student, even you can't cite Wikipedia because it isn't a factual site. I could put anything on there. I can put that, you know, that bugs are poisonous and some of them are, but not all of them are, you know, I could do what, you know, you can do that. So yeah. definitely cite, make sure your sources are legit. Totally off topic, but okay. I'm going to throw this out for my son. Have you heard of Rational Wiki? Wiki? It's called rationalwiki.org. Yeah. It's like Wikipedia for smart people. Oh. So <laughs> my son like is one of the editors of it. So nice. Nice. He changes stuff, but yeah, so check it out. You know, if you're ever bored, yeah, um, you can check out Rational Wiki. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, like Wikipedia is one of the like it, it has a, a ton of information, but doesn't mean it's always accurate. So, like, like you said, take it with a grain of salt. Like WebMD might be more accurate, obviously more accurate than Wikipedia. Um, like just things like that you want to, but always, if you have any questions or concerns, seek out a therapist or a medical professional, somebody that has the background that can give you the information that you can need. And it most likely will be more, obviously more accurate than what you would find online, but the, mm -hmm. online is a good starting point as well. Um, you know, so, and that's another thing, um, with autism, like you can't just like self-diagnose your child. Oh, he has these symptoms. Like, you know like the, the, he has autism like you obviously there's a set of tests that you know that would be run or there would be ways that a doctor would determine that they are autistic so um i'll start with jen on this one um so what are some key signs of early autism and what should a parent do if these children are doing signs like because you can't just self-diagnose your child has autism with these signs but what are they and how can and what would I guess, be the cause for them to take that their child to get evaluated by a medical professional? Well, it's interesting because in boys and girls, it could look differently. We're still learning more about what autism looks like in girls. So the list of behaviors to watch for you may see in girls, um, you definitely see in boys. Um, 
early signs of autism include um, sensory reactions or meltdowns, like perhaps they um, get really upset. My son, for example, when he just got out of nowhere, like the wind blew and he would have a meltdown. It took me a while to figure out that it was the feeling of the wind. Um, so sensory reactions, meltdowns, um, repetitive behaviors, um, repetitive food, um, repetitive playing, difficulty dealing with change, even if it's like most children find is a good change. Um, they struggle with peers. They're more interested in parallel play versus, mm -hmm. you know, playing with their peers. Um, and they usually play with toys in a different way. So right. if your child has autism there, these are some markers you can look for. As mm -hmm. you said, you need a doctor, um, to be able to, um, test the child, a psychologist, actually, um, yeah. your family doctor can't say, Hey, I think Johnny has autism. And then you go to school and say, my doctor said Johnny has autism because your doctor didn't go to school for eight years learning about the brain. Um, so yeah. they're not able to actually give a diagnosis. So you have to go mm -hmm. to a specialist for that, but it is very important to seek out the right people because, uh, any brain child's brain changes the most when they are a toddler so mm -hmm. early intervention is key yeah. um with children with autism as it is with any child yeah absolutely and uh, uh lisa um if a child you know has autism in an educational standpoint like if they do have autism and a parent comes to you how does how do you as an educator i guess change your teaching habits uh, so you can like, you know, help a child and it could be a highly functional autistic child that might not be needing special education type classes. How would you as an educator uh, go from, you know, te teaching a room full of students, a lot of them don't have autism, but there might be a select few that has that or another type of learning or regular type of disability. Yeah, um, I do have several students who over the years have ha have autism and they seem to do well in the classroom because I think for one, no matter what, the lights are low always in my classroom. I never have overhead lights on. I'll have, I have lamps around the room because it's a warmer, easier light to tolerate for, for people with autism or people with you know migraines or whatever it is. They, are able to, I think, having that conversation with what works best for that particular child and what they what if they need times where they're going to need to break from the room and they need to walk around and they need to go out and do whatever, right. if they need to go get a drink or just walk a lap around the thing, they have permission to do that. Mm -hmm. They don't have to make a scene about it. They don't have to like yeah. feel like they're being exposed. So giving them those those accommodations, I think mm -hmm. always going for the strength of that person and how they can contribute. And they um, and I think just in general, the classroom atmosphere of how we treat each other mm -hmm. has to be set from the very beginning. Those expectations and and just that culture of inclusiveness, no matter what, and everyone has a voice to share and we should have a safe space to be able to be who you are mm -hmm. and so it's kind of a general understanding already but anything the child needs that will help them cope with the sensory overload that can happen um, they will always have choice if they're going to work with someone or alone they're not going to be forced in a group they're not going to be forced to be alone if it's something that they've chosen not to like anything basically you can do to help with the the things that cause 
that overload, you know, like Jennifer was saying, the meltdowns, yeah. if you can help with that and it, they don't have to get to that point, then their brain's ready to go. They don't have to deal with all that excess and they're, you know, excited to be a part of things. I think the flexibility helps them. I think also um, being uh, very specific about certain things is helpful for certain. And I'm like, uh, not a person who's always I'm very flexible and very laid back. So I have to remember to to be um, explicit about certain things that will help things be less confusing if there's a potential for it. Um, yeah, just lots of things that can be done. But I think that one-on-one -on -one with the family or with if the, if the student is comfortable, but definitely with parents of like, what works for your son, your daughter, um, not just a general like, oh, if someone has right. autism, then this is what you have to do, because that's not how it is. Right. There's every every person ways. might be different. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Because just because, you know, little Johnny has autism, he might need, you know, this type of care. You know, little Susie might need a totally different type totally of different care. Thing. Yeah. So yeah. It, it really depends on the child and what their needs and what they like, what they specifically trigger to. Because there are things like Jennifer mentioned, sensory meltdowns. Like they might just get a meltdown because you know maybe you know the air conditioning's on and it's blowing you know on them or something. You know, and they're right under the air vent. Like you know things like that. Like you have to take those into consideration also. And there's there's a lot that is involved. And as an like as an educator are you like trained for this or how does how does that work you know i think that educators have opportunities to be trained in certain mm -hmm. classes you know we have our credits we always get every year mm -hmm. um and i mean it probably depends on the um awareness your district has for bringing in certain trainings i most of the teachers i work with and i can speak for myself mm -hmm. um i seek out my own learning often about yeah. things that matter the most to me this happens to be one yeah. so um but i think that you know there there are things out there mm -hmm. um again there's a lot of opportunities i'm just not sure always people take those opportunities so yeah. it's really the, the teacher has to have a drive to to seek things out too yeah absolutely. way above beyond those classes because those are those should be i think a lot of classes we have are just touching the surface uh you know just comprehensive in a sense of an overview but then if you you get like a spark from them and then you go figure this out you go find better resources all the time yeah. you're looking for new resources and that's why this site this thing that jennifer's doing is amazing to connect professionals and parents yeah exactly and i think that uh and i might be wrong so correct me if i'm wrong but th they, that's probably where they have special education type classes for people that are actually trained to uh, handle, you know, situations where they have severe autism or like severe other disabilities, whether it's behavioral or, you know, neurological or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's people that actually go to school for special education, you know, so that they can actually give them the proper treatment and have the training to do that proper treatment as well. And help inform other educators yeah. and also like keep them accountable to the accommodations. Yeah. Make sure that those things, those things are being met and that great, you know, all of the accommodations are being met. Yeah. And special education is keeping tabs on each student. They should be. And really they should be keeping tabs on each teacher um, too, because teachers do get busy and overwhelmed. And like, again, they, they may be ignorant to certain things. So as long as the special education teacher is, is keeping up on 
making sure that the needs are being met and the agreement, the IEP or the 504, yeah. whatever you end up with is being met. Um, you know, that, that helps that accountability helps a busy yeah. team. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask Lindsay this next question. Is she still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so the, uh, the question I got for you is, uh, how does a child with autism from, you know, a professional standpoint, um, how do they get the necessary care and treatment so they can like cope with living with autism? Like, so they can get the, from anything from the proper diagnosis to getting the proper medication or the proper way, you know, to kind of live in normal society with, with autism, because it's obviously not, it's going to be a life-changing thing for both the child and the parent, and they have to live with this the rest of their life. So how, how does a child get that, that care and treatment to live with this? Right. Well, I, I, I think Jen had mentioned this before, maybe not um, during this interview, but mm -hmm. 1% of the population right now has autism. Mm -hmm. I, I find the 99% of people that do not are more of the problem, <laughs> the understanding that is what's mm -hmm. not there. Um, so that is why this platform is so important to help that 99% mm -hmm. understand that this is something that they are living with every day. Mm -hmm. um, and we could be a little more open to helping them get mm -hmm. through the day. I, I'm sure they wanna go to school and sit there and learn with their peers and then go out and have recess and have yeah. a good time. But all of those distractions are all in the way, like the air conditioning, the lights, mm -hmm. um, all of the noises. Um, so just being that support as a parent, an educator, a professional, um, talking to them, see what they need. They're not going to come up to you and tell, tell you all of the time, hey, these people are too loud. This is hurting my ears. They're, you know, they're going to say it in a different way. Their behavior is going to be their communication. So being there for them, offering them that support, recognizing um, when things happen, certain times of the day may just be a trigger for them. Mm -hmm. um, go to the cafeteria um, you may notice that they might be hesitant. They don't want to go there. So what, what is causing that? Is it the noise? Is it the smell? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Um, so just reaching out to different people, mm -hmm. um, talking to the whole team that includes the child as well, uh, getting input from all aspects of their life so mm -hmm. they could have the most success include the parents, include the educators, include therapists, um, make sure that you're all on the same page for yeah. that child. Because you may have worked with another child and you may have seen similar instances where they didn't like recess or they didn't like uh, crowds, but you could have worked with another child who did and they thrived in that environment. So just not um, focusing on what worked one day or with one child, making yeah. sure that it is individualized to, to that child. Absolutely. So Jen, um, if a child is being bullied because of their autism, what advice would you give 
uh, like, first of all, what should the child do if they are in an instance of being bullied? And what should parents do to help their child uh, while they're experiencing this pain? And what are like the, the protocols? And are there any warning signs that if the child doesn't want to tell them because they're afraid to? What, like, how can the parent kind of find out or kind of get to the truth without having to bombard the child with all these questions that might make them feel scared or uncomfortable? Okay. This is actually a really good question. And I've asked Lizzie to answer this too, because she has a son with autism. Yeah. Our children are, are different in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah. I answer this question as a parent with, with my son who suffered bullying a lot. And still mm. sometimes does. And he's always been really kind to people. He doesn't really try to make waves. He's learned to try to be invisible, you know. Um, but number one, he, he's not going to tell me that he's bullied. He has autism. He has a communication disorder. When he's uncomfortable, he loses the ability to talk. When he's been bullied in school and he comes home, he only wants to talk about home. He only wants to think about home. He's very, like, environment driven. Mm. So, like... I don't know that he's being bullied. I might be able to tell that he had a bad day if he comes home at the end of the day and he hugs his dog for 20 minutes. I knew, I know he had, he had a bad day, mm -hmm. but communication is really a problem when you have a child with autism because they're not going to come home and they're not going to tell you that they've been bullied. Mm -hmm. um, and also like answering questions can be really tough. Like for example, when my son was in second grade, he came home with this terrible cut on his eye and it looked like it was so close to his eye. And I said, buddy, what happened? And he said, um, a kid on a, a swing kicked my eye, right? And that's, that's the last thing that happened. Um, I said, well, you, you know, buddy, you know better than to, to stand so close. He's like, I wasn't standing close. And that was all the information I got. I'm like, well, then how did you get close? He said, another kid pushed me in front of the swing. And he didn't tell the teacher that's what happened because she didn't ask the right question. So Sometimes mm -hmm. it is about asking that right question. And sometimes it's just impossible to know. I only knew because of the mark on his eye. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. Um, so, and as a parent, what do you do? It's heartbreaking and it's hard um, because they don't talk to you. When you have a child with autism, you don't, at least I don't get communication. Um, the only communication I get is from teachers when things are going wrong. <laughs> so, and I know he's an awesome human, but like, you know, like every, I can, every, um, teacher meeting, but one started out as, but well, we know um, Leaf is really smart and great in these things. So let's talk about what he, what he struggles in. I'm like, no, well, let's not, let's talk about what he's great at, you know, like, yeah. but we, just, we never do that. Um, so mm -hmm. it's really a tricky thing when you have a child with autism and bullying. And like I said, I'm interested for Lindsay to answer that question. Um, I don't possibly her son may express, but my son never did. So for me, it's just, it was really hard. You just had to kind of yeah. guess what kind of day yep. he had by how he was when he came home and assume that people and children yeah. can be really hard. You know, I, I had educators straight up in my IEP meeting saying that, cause I have a learning disability. I have ADHD. I have Tourette's. So like, you know, you see me rolling my eyes. I'm not rolling them at the guests. That's my Tourette's. Um, but I, I, at my IEP meeting, I had teachers say straight out that Scotty had uh, Scotty um as the you know these disabilities or whatever this is younger when I was younger uh not like 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 you know high school level like 10th 11th 12th grade but when I was younger they're like when he grows to be an adult he's not going to amount to anything he's going to work in fast food he won't go to college he won't get a job he won't do this that and the other well 
I I love that because I use I I steal from Taylor Swift. I my haters are my motivators. When I heard them say that, it devastated me thinking that these people are my educators and they're telling me I'm not going to mount anything. I'm going to be a McDonald's, you know, cashier the rest of my life. Like, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I got two degrees. Um, I am currently the senior web developer for the United States Coast Guard. I uh, own a film company with three three movies out, one short and two full features. I am a New York Times bestselling author with my fifth, yeah, sixth book, fifth book. I lost count, but my fifth book or sixth book just got released in August. I'm represented by a talent agent out of New, out of uh, Los Angeles and a literary agent out of Reno, Nevada. And my I, my book was my most recent book was published by a big uh, company out of Tampa, Florida called Bear Manor Media. So, and I'm going to be hosting a Q&A as Slasher Scotty at Hollow at Monster Mania with two of the top people that were in Halloween 1978. Oh, and my new book, Jamie Lee Curtis wrote the forward to. So, oh, yes. So awesome. tell me, tell me that I, I, I'm not succeeding. And those teachers are my Love Facebook. It. And I spam them with tags in every single thing. <laughs> that's awesome. I was going to ask great. if you sent them anything. Like, hey, look yes. at this best-selling and then book. I have I people like, then I have people like Joanne Hopple, who I say in every single interview is the reason why I'm a New York Times bestselling author, because she always believed in me. And she was the first person in line at my very first book signing that bought my very first book. Mrs. Hopple. And that's I love her. Funny. Not that many people really cared for her. Um, because she was very tough and very strict, I that helped me become a New York Times bestselling author. So you, you kind of if, if she's too strict for you, maybe you're not doing the work that needs to be done, and you're not paying attention, and you like giving her a hard time. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Lindsay, what about you? Like, um, what about bullying? How 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 do you go about that? Any advice? What should what should be done about that? And then I'm going to ask Lisa about it. Um, from an educator standpoint. I, from my experience, um, my son's only eight right now, and he's still at that stage where um, nobody is a bully to him. He just thinks everybody, he wants to be everybody's friend. And he's not quite there at picking up on social cues yet um, when people are ignoring him or making faces at him. So we're still kind of learning that. Um, but he is, he's starting to learn a little bit more every day about how you treat people. He's so kind and you don't get to see it often because he's not going out of his way to be extra nice to somebody. But for example, my mom's birthday just passed and he, without prompting, wrapped up some of his favorite toys and put them in a bag for her you know, and gave them to her. And he, he was so sweet about it. And they were his favorite thing. So, you know, people don't get to see that all yeah. the time. Um, So that I do make sure to tell him, like when they are doing something and they're being a great friend, mm -hmm. Um, just a lot of positive strength-based practices to, to mm -hmm. ensure that he's going to continue that and be the person that He's always going to be whether or not people are going to be that same way because it is an ugly world, unfortunately. And yeah. there, you know, I just want him to stay the person that he is yeah. and um, yeah. just avoid that negativity. Yeah, we're in a world where bullying exists. And now that we have social media, 
you don't have bullying as as well. Like you do have bullying, but you have cyberbullying now. You add that virtual thing where you're behind a keyboard, so now you could be the biggest, toughest bad guy in the world and really make somebody feel so bad. And that's a big reason why suicide rates are up because of the bullying. Because children are so upset, they're, they can't. They, they're supposed to go to school for education. They don't. A lot of times, they don't want to go to school because of that reason. And when you have when you have autism, as Jen mentioned, they have communicative. It's a communicative type of disorder. So like they're hard. It's hard for them to communicate what's going on. So with that happening, it makes it harder. They they might not want to go to school or whatever the issue may be, and they're having a hard time to explain why. Because of the bullying, it makes it hard for for a child to actually, you know, especially with somebody with autism. And we are in a world where bullying is probably not going to end, at least not in our lifetime. And it's a sad thing to think about, but that's the, the way the world is. And if, and when you see, you know, adults fighting over wh- whatever it may be, whether it's politics or religion or just, you know, why why the sky is blue, like you know, people are are, are fighting and getting offended over every little thing that children pick up on the scene these adults who are supposed to be you know role models because they're adults and they're supposed to be you know you know setting good examples and they're arguing and fighting and causing all this drama and chaos and and bullying and calling people names and all this stuff and children pick up on that and children believe it or not are smarter than most people give them credit for and they see that and then they think that's okay because these adults who should be uh, you know parental figures are you know causing all this chaos and you know in the world and that's why bullying isn't going to end because it like nobody like us as adults are, are are doing it and i'm not saying us in general i'm just saying in general like adults are are causing this this stuff in the world so how are you supposed to expect your children not to bully students in school if you have all this happening like it really is crazy and that's where my question for lisa comes in as an educator how like if somebody's being bullied whether they have autism or not um do you have any warning signs how do you go about helping this child because it's in your work environment like how do you go about that to get to help them and to find out that they're being bullied and kind of how do you um i guess how do you uh, how can i say it like how can you like uh i guess provide them the necessary tools or the ways to to overcome the bullying because it it really is a big issue yeah, I think um, one of the biggest, I am fortunate to be at a, an alternative high school in my school district where we focus on social emotional learning. We also, it's just a part of what we do. We we teach and talk about empathy We in the sense of understanding one another even with our differences uh, we can even disagree but there's yeah. a way to do that too it's it's teaching yeah. it's teaching the social emotional um understanding how when they're regulated when they're not regulated right. how can you have a co-regulator um what is your co-regulator is it always the person or is it not you know and that isn't always for someone but i think it's about th- this idea of teaching beyond some subject mm-hmm. um and we, we make it a priority yes we still teach the subjects and things uh, that you know journalism all the stuff we do but but if a situation comes up that is about the social emotional environment we are going that's going to preempt a, ta- a subject in a sense so it's at our school it's the culture 
-hmm. it's already the culture when you come in the, the kids who come to the school they apply they you know it's our agreements of of what we accept and expect at our school uh, we address any issue that there's bullying but it's it's also like when you were talking about the tools for overcoming yes that that's its own thing too because a lot of kids come to the school because of being bullied um but teaching them the tools of advocating especially if it is challenging for them you know um and and then like the signs if it is challenging for a person you know that as a teacher Mm -hmm. um it's this idea of being in tune with the dynamics of your group with what's going on in the classroom taking the temperature i guess in a sense often um, which requires you to be more prepared all these things if you're not scattered and running around you're able to do these things that are very important yeah. but signs you know of withdrawing beyond introspection you know like mm -hmm. you can see um you know a lot of someone who does a certain quality of work and the work is either not getting turned in at all lack of motivation for for doing anything that they normally would be doing um isolating uh not coming to school is huge um and they kind of in that habit because of the bullying they've experienced but we have a very specific tiered system that helps kids with attendance academics and behavior which we hardly have any behaviors but with academics and attendance we have it set up so that um you know before anything gets too far out of control and they have no way to catch up on credits or they have no way to deal with this you know particular issue that's happening for them socially or emotionally we have it each week that we're we follow each student mm -hmm. in every one of those areas and it never goes beyond a week of understanding where they are with their attendance why they were gone if their academics have slipped why and what giving them the chance to to um get the help that they need so we just have we have our our finger on the pulse of students and we have our own little advisory that we're even like doubly mm -hmm. putting the finger on the pulse so that we have our kids we that cannot no one can fall through the cracks on anything we have a beautiful support system of people um that in our building that aren't classroom teachers that are available at any time and we have uh like a social work we have a therapist we have um some csct which is also a, a therapist but it's a different funding source, I guess. We have um, a family resource person, but we use them as another support person. And we have the flagship people who just like staff, when we train them at our, our school for things, it's everyone. It's not just teachers. It's this is this is our Willard way. This is what we do. And it, everyone matters from from the person they see first when they come in the door, someone they'll the, the person they will see at lunch, the person they'll see in the halls. We just set it up um, to be explicit about the culture we want in our building that we accept in our building um, and that the support is there and so readily available and so many different people who are a different person that this person will connect with and this person will connect with this yeah. person. And it's just such a variety of ways students can have at least one adult that yeah. they connect with enough to be able to share 
uh, or at least the adult could know and ask. And, um, and I think teaching, teaching about um, even these, even autism and stuff, like bringing that into the classroom, the, t- the literature of any, any exceptionality mm-hmm. and respecting and, and actually appreciating the diversity that we have. It's like when Lindsay was talking alert, earlier, I was thinking one of the things is like, um, if a teacher gets this, gets the student, they're like, okay, the, you have this student and this student who will have supports, um, this, you know, and they give you the, the diagnosis, the IP, whatever it is, cause you need to make sure you're making accommodations. But it's when, if a teacher looks at a student and thinks, um, not in the sense of limitations, but in the sense of like um, both Jen and, and uh, Lindsay were saying of the strengths mm-hmm. and what what's so different that they can contribute. You know, there's so many different talents people have, regardless of whatever, um, you know, neurodiverse, you know, not non-neurodiverse, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's like. I don't know. I guess it really stems to the culture and that you purposefully teach the skills of, of uh, social, emotional mm-hmm. and, and personal regulation. And, and when students understand, okay, I have to, I have to be in touch with what I'm feeling and what things trigger me in my environment so that I can come up with things that um, help me be successful. If you're teaching that for everyone, it's not a big stretch for them to understand that, Hey, that person also will need to regulate at times and they will also mm-hmm. experience dysregulation and how can i be a co-regulator potentially you know and who will you know like i was saying earlier who will who would be mine and um it's just everything is set up with a safety net as much as we possibly can and i think it's just that that no student is not is not uh connected to someone who's responsible to make sure those needs are being met Mm -hmm. absolutely great answer and uh like one thing that really caught my eye is what you said especially earlier in is that you know we kind of just because somebody has a different belief system than you doesn't mean you you bully them and tell and tell them why they're wrong in the most horrible way possible that's why we call it we agree to disagree we might not have the same beliefs but we're still human like just because like you know that's one thing that bothers me with politics is like you're right your way is the right way or the wrong but you look at the other person's point of view you know i have different point of views than a lot of my friends and a lot of my family in politics but we don't let it come between us we you know we use it as a way to start meaningful conversation and discussions and open the floor you know especially with my significant other side of things because his family you know has different viewpoints than me politically and we we don't use we don't it doesn't it never causes a rift with us because we learn how to how to take our differences and beliefs and we bring it together we we make it you know we we communicate and we it becomes a big open forum where they hear my side of things. I hear their side of things. If and then maybe they make me. They, I might understand their why they believe this way. I'm like, you know what? I never thought of that before. You know, and that's yeah, like exactly. Topic, and that teaching that kind of thinking too with conversations of yep. you still end up disagreeing at the end, maybe. But you might also have some form of enlightenment that you just never yeah. thought of. Yeah. And that and that just because we we think differently on certain issues mm-hmm. or you know different 
beliefs in any sense um, doesn't mean that that's that's all of who we are. Yeah. So so if your political belief is different than mine, yeah, we're not going to agree on on several things. But that's not all of who you are. If right. you if you have ADHD or or autism or or whatever it might be for you, that's just one aspect of you. That's not yeah. that's not it. Like there's. Right so much yep i mean yes it's who you are and it's it affects your life greatly but like that's that's that would one you know dimensional way of looking right. at someone right and like even say with my podcast my podcast started as a horror podcast for people i grew up watching and that's who i wanted to interview and i ex- i expanded it to musicians to authors to you guys like yeah. you know just, it's not just a horror podcast anymore it's 90% of my content might be horror based but I also open it up to different things because topics like this gets people talking. Topics like this educates people. Topics like this brings enlightenment on, okay, well, my child, maybe they do have autism. Now, how do I go about researching and finding a certified psychologist so I can get my child tested? And if they get, and then if they are tested positive for autism, then now where do I go from there? Like, how do, do I need to get an IEP if they're at, at that age? Do I need, uh, you know, do I need special medication? Do I need, what are their triggers? Um, what, what does, what is in with my child? Because just because your child has social, you know, any type of anxiety or uh, social anxiety or sensory triggers or anything like that, just because your child has that, everybody else might not. So these are things that we kind of, Got, you know, and that's what this conversation is about for you all to kind of help, you know, educate the, the masses that are going to listen to this because it will, it could make a big difference. And as Lindsay and Jen both said, 1% is autism, the 99% doesn't. So mm-hmm. those 99% of those people are probably going to be watching this more than people, the 1%. And that's where we're going to educate them. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thank so the you. last, absolutely, absolutely. And the last question, and Jen, you're going to make editing so hard now because you moved down to the under corner. So now I got to put in a different oh. play and editing. No, oh, um, no. no, I'm only kidding. I'm Dog, only kidding. Beat it out. I, I couldn't put off. I knew they were being loud. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, your dog was making a cameo. My cat made a cameo. And when Lisa was talking, I'm like, ow, because she fell. Oh, I thought she, it was hilarious. And, yeah, she fell and she literally hanged on with her claws right on my knees. So now I'm going to have big scratches in my legs. And then I'm trying to help her up and she's biting my wrist. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. like well, I'm not a chew toy. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question I got um, is just going to go to Jen um, because it's just a promotional thing. So where can we, where can anybody that is watching this, where can they find autism virtually? We know it's on Facebook, but where can they go to access this group? And do you have any events that the listening and viewing audience may want to be a part of or anything in the motions or how they can find these events um, when something is created? Okay, so fun fact, autism virtually is only a few months old. So we're just starting out. We're mm-hmm. going to get bigger and bigger oh. and do bigger and bigger things, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so we're excited that we had two trainings. We're going from once to month training. That's, that's a goal. Um, so you can find autism virtually. Um, it's a private Facebook group. But if you do the search bar and type in autism virtually, we should pop up. Um, it will ask you some questions uh, for you to join. Like some of them are silly. Like, are you a human? Because, like I said, this yeah. is for for everybody, right? 
Yeah. Um, not bots. <laughs> not bots. Every human. Sure. They're getting very good though. Bots can pretend to be human pretty well now. Yeah. Um, but it's for it's for everybody. So if you have autism, great, please come. If you have a child with autism or a family member, somebody you love with autism, absolutely come over. If you don't, please, please come over. Um, mm. The trainings we had, like I said, with autism for everyone, we have that actually up on our channel so mm -hmm. that everybody can watch it and access it. Um, we're hopeful to have um, our anxiety, depression, and suicide training posted mm -hmm. likely in bits. Um, that was a pretty dark one, but it was very important um, as, you know, two out of three people with autism in their lifetime have suicidal thoughts. And mm -hmm. we have a lot more anxiety disorders. Children, children have anxiety disorders at like three and four. Um, mm -hmm. You know, autistic children at 10, 11 um, are, commit, are attempting suicide. It is a depression is a big issue. So I'm really hopeful um, to get that up because that's a really important topic. We're thinking about doing ADHD um, yeah. next time. We're thinking about doing, uh, you know, girls versus boys uh, because it's actually pointing out that there are just as many girls mm -hmm. as boys. It's just they, they look differently. So we're not really picking them up. Um, and we're open to doing lots and lots of other trainings. If anybody comes and says, hey, I'd like to learn about this, um, we can pull from our admins. We have so many amazing um, people to pull yeah. from to do these trainings. Yeah, I know so, you wanted me to do the ADHD one, which I would be more than happy to do. I know I'm very busy, so if we could pick yeah. a day that I'm free, I would be more than happy to help with that. I lived with ADHD since I was six, seven, eight years old. So, yeah. Yeah, there are so many kids who have autism and ADHD together. Yeah. Um, it's like the biggest co-occurring um, two diagnosis mm -hmm. together with autism. And a lot of, and this yeah. is a fun fact. A lot of people might not know this about me, but I was, I, I have Tourette's and, and ADHD, and both of them combined can look like autism or an Asperger syndrome. And I was misdiagnosed as, with Asperger syndrome. And then I, my mom went to get a second opinion, and they said I didn't have Asperger. So she went to get a third opinion to see what kind of like the tiebreaker, I guess, would be. <laughs> and uh, and they said I don't have Aspergers. I have Tourette's. And that when we found an ADHD, and it kind of it looked a lot like autism, like Asperger syndrome. So I was misdiagnosed. Um, but I have, I mean, as I mentioned, I don't, I don't want him, him to be embarrassed, but I have a significant other who, uh, you know, has autism and he's now, go, he's going to be getting a degree in psychology and he just started a paid internship with, as a, you know, an autism, you know, a, a therapist for autistic children. So, you know, the fact that, you know, we have that, uh, you know, so, you know, people like that, that are willing, that want to learn, he didn't know what he wanted to do for a long time. But he decided that, you know, like, you know, he wanted to do psychology he, and he loves the classes. He loves working in that field. And, you know, and there's a lot of psychologists out there and a lot of people um, are are trained or are getting trained um, or getting educated and, you know, learning it. And uh, and it's just who is the best doctor for you. And just because a doctor misdiagnoses a child doesn't mean they're a bad doctor because things can't like doctors even make mistakes and they miss the diagnosis is they miss, you know, they see things that look very similar, but might not be that. And I mean, doctors are human, but you know, things are tricky, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. So uh, I thank all three of you for joining me tonight, Jennifer, Lindsay, Lisa. Um, it's, it's really been enlightening. I mean, we, I, like I told uh, Jen before we started recording, I always set my interviews to 30 minutes max, and usually it goes under. Um, this one, I think we're hitting an hour. 
so we doubled it so yeah i don't i i try to stay away from long interviews because you know a lot of people don't want to listen to that but this interview was very enlightening and i i think it went really well and i think a lot of people are going to be very educated and you know you're you're gonna and if you don't have a child with autism if you don't have autism still come and join autism virtually because you without anybody in your family or whatever that doesn't have autism might be able to still make a difference with, you know, with being with the knowledge, because you might come across somebody in a group, not even autism virtually, just in a group in general that might be asking a question about their autistic child, you know, maybe it's a, a mental health group or whatever. And you might have from a training from autism virtually, the knowledge and the education, not the education, but the experience from that training, you know, that you can help them and at least point them in the right direction. And maybe this interview kind of, I would hope, uh, you know, help somebody with that, you know, kind of come across that. And one more thing to say yes. too, like, um, if you even if you don't have somebody that you love or close to you, um, with autism, mm-hmm. autism is being diagnosed in the United States, one in forty-four, I believe, right, ladies. So of mm-hmm. of a hundred children children being born. So okay, maybe right now you don't have somebody you love with autism in your life. But there is a good chance, statistically speaking, that the mm-hmm. person fifteen years now from you. Uh, may have a grandchild, you know, may have a child with autism, may have um, a family member, a close family member with that. So it's always good to um, be aware and to educate yourself. Absolutely. And if you're watching this and you don't have a children child that has autism, ouch. (laughs) 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 Right right up right in the same spot you scratched me earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so like if you don't have a child or anybody you know with autism, as Jen said, like you might want to you might find that partner that you want to have a child with and that child is born and they have they might have autism and if they do then this will you know you might already have a head start on from this interview alone and if you join autism virtually you can have that head start on what to do if you come across that bridge because guarantee my mom wasn't prepared for me to you know be misdiagnosed with Asperger's but still have ADHD and Tourette's she was in a depression she wouldn't leave her bed for for months and it wasn't because she had a child that was that was you know that was different or a child that had Tourette's or whatever because she wasn't embarrassed by it she was concerned because she's like okay now my child's gonna get bullied now what do I do and she was right I did get bullied a lot and look where I am now my bully's asking me for my autograph so so there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh no but seriously like that's that's you know that's the way it is like bullying is a big part of it we spoke on that and i'm and you know people that don't have any of this they might say well i'm not gonna that's not gonna relate to me but it might relate to you at some point in your life whether or not you think it will because it, it really can, it, it, it's always a possibility and people like you know educators like lisa and professionals like jen and Lindsay, you guys you know having this interview and with autism virtually it all will help people even if they are it doesn't affect them now it might down the road and that's what that that's where people like you and you know groups like this come into play and really give people the awareness the skills you know the tools and the education that they might need yeah absolutely Yep. Well, I thank you guys for joining me tonight. Yep. This is very Bye. fun. And I will uh, let you know once I have it up uh, uploaded then. All right. All right. Have a thank good, you, right. good night. for this important thank you um, so much. interview and letting us get this out. Absolutely. Right. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Jim. Bye, Lindsay. Bye. Bye, everyone.